0: Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss marked events while quaffing a few beers. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined, as ever, by Sam Volkering. Apologies in advance, I am feeling slightly under the weather at the moment. I don't think it's the flu or anything. I think I've just got a good old-fashioned cold, uh, but I probably sound a bit more stuffed up than normal. But Sam, how are you doing this week?
1: Uh, I'm good, I'm good. It's, it's uh, yeah, hopefully it's... uh well, it doesn't really matter if it's the WooFlu or not. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in knowing that you'll be here for next week's podcast episode. Yeah, uh, even but, if it
0: was WooFlu, I'm pretty sure I'd be all right.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I said to you, I just air, that the, the danger here is that you go into the public domain. You need to sneeze or cough as human beings generally do need to do from time to time. Uh, you do so and then you are repeatedly beaten to death um, yep. by old people by with, with breadsticks or something in the local co-op. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the real risk here. That's stay home, stay safe from people lynching you if you sneeze. That's yeah, the real that, message here, people.
0: And it's not just the police. Uh, it's the uh, <laughs> <laughs> well over here, as I'm now in Scotland, it's the, the ass but it's pronounced in Scots differently. Because of course, uh, you know, every police car and every police uniform must have the Gaelic translation of police printed on it. Uh, just in case It's always any- been like that. No, no, this is very recent. Uh, the, well, over the, past, over the past decade, at least. It was one of Sturgeon's uh, measures to drum up some nationalism in Scotland, was to uh, you know spend some of that good police money <laughs> on making sure that oh, the Gaelic translation is, uh, is printed on every uniform and on every cop car around here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I think if I did sneeze in public or cough in public, you know, there's a lot of woke students around here. I, uh, I think I could be in you know, significant danger. Uh, but it is good to be back in Edinburgh. Actually, all things, all things said, it's a lot livelier than I remember. And uh, indeed, I was actually able to go to uh, my, uh, you know, my, the bottle shop I used to go to. Uh, oh, hey,
1: I go. did stay
0: in Edinburgh, which is called Great Grog. Awesome. And uh, it's just an incredibly good beer shop and you know uh, what yeah.
1: that term grog uh yep. doesn't get used nearly enough I, I i rarely hear it over here back home all the time all the time but, but at home home here just no nah.
0: that's interesting because i mean it, it originates in the royal navy i think i mean that was the grog was the you'd get your grog ration uh because to prevent the sailors from getting scurvy so it was rum some sugar and uh, lemon juice with, to give you some of that vitamin vitamin c i think Prevented scurvy, but it was a Royal Ooh. Navy uh, uh, word. So, I mean, again, it makes sense the Australians would get oh, it. Uh, yeah. People. But at the same time, you think that you'd get that in the UK, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, just I rarely hear anybody re- refer to it as 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 grog. I mean, mm. we, we don't in the name of this podcast. You know, it's booze, booms, and busts. I wonder what I wonder what would be would be if it was if we'd thrown grog in. EGG. Would it be like greed, uh, grog, greed, and something else. <laughs>
0: Yeah, what would that be? Gains, gains. Grog,
1: grog. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out for that. For when, for when we go from it's like like when Oasis split up. It's like someone eventually will go and form a new group with a new name. So we'll, we'll think yeah. about it then.
0: Grog, greed, and gains. Yeah, that'll be my my splinter group. <laughs> we'll have a massive falling out. Of, yeah. of, I'm taking the Twitter account, Sam. <laughs> But uh, yeah, what are you drinking this week, actually? Because mm. I am, I am drinking some uh, some beer from Great Grog. What have you got, Sam?
1: Right. So my first one today is called the Astrid, which uh, is from Thornbridge uh, Riverside Brewery in Bakewell. Uh, bake oh. very well in the UK. Uh, I don't know where that is, to be honest. Do you know where that is?
0: Uh, well, Bakewell. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I've been there, actually,
0: very briefly. It's a, I think it's near Staffordshire, or if it's oh, okay. in the actual uh, area.
1: That's probably not that far from me. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Astrid. Uh, it's a juicy pale. Now, it's it's on the lighter side here in terms of alcohol, alcohol content at uh, 3.8%, um, which is, I mean, that's Kit Winder level uh, kind of alcohol content there, but... Um, but yeah it's 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 fresh it's it's lovely it's quite lovely actually to be honest with you when it says juicy I was kind of you know sometimes like these fruity juicy style uh beers can be a little bit um overly fruity but this one it doesn't appear to be off the off the taste purple can with like kind of art deco gold sort of pattern all over it um Mm. I think it's art deco I don't know it might not be my 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 knowledge of if of historic art periods is fucking shocking um but nice cool nice can astrid Dornbridge so far so good
0: very good uh the one i've got at the moment is by eight wired this is from new zealand uh i think i've had quite a few from eight wired in the past but you don't come across them that often uh but this one has a very colorful uh, light can with flowers on it with sort of rainbow rainbow design yeah and it's called uh, simpatico but there's an accent of the a so i wonder how it's actually pronounced because i'm not great with the accents simpatico.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean I, i'm not sure <laughs> uh, it says on the side lazy afternoons chilling in the sun not a care in the world but a lot of care for the world so they're oh. definitely going in, going for that greeny market here going for the woke oh, brigade um, simpatico wherever you go. <laughs> um, oh, here's, maybe, maybe you can answer this, Sam. Uh, apparently, this is Approx 2.3 New Zealand Standard Drinks. What does this mean? Is this their version of units?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. So standard, yes, yeah, standard drinks is a common term, uh, definitely in Australia and what it appears to be now in New Zealand. Yeah, we right, don't right. we don't talk about it in units. It's, it's standard drinks. So oh, right. I do recall coming over here, you know, like a pint is, you know, two standard drinks or whatever. And uh, you know, I remember I was I was at a party once and I was having a couple of beers. And um, they were like, "Oh, um, how many units have you had? You know, if you were going to jump in the car and, and drive," I was like, "Ah, oh, you know, I can probably have a couple of standard units." And they're like, "What the fuck's a standard unit?"
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, well, this is. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is uh, now that you say that, this is very damaging to national pride because. Now I'm reading this. It's uh, because this is meant for the UK market as well as the, the NZ market and probably the Aussie market too. Um, I mean, it's got the 2.8 UK units beside it. So a, um, a New Zealand standard unit is, you know, is stronger. Well, it's not stronger, it's lighter. So you need more of it uh, to, to pass whatever, whatever threshold. So a UK unit, uh, if, it's, if it's been more diluted, so this is 2.8, uh, as opposed to an NZ standard 2.3, I mean, it assumes that, uh, well, the New Zealand drinker can take more more booze than the average Brit, which, uh, you know, we, re- we need to really start, uh, you know, strengthening the UK unit, I think. This should be lower to two units. And this is a 6.5% hazy IPA. I should have mentioned that. Well, I think,
1: isn't it... Uh, well, actually, probably has nothing to do with the actual limit of driving... Uh, which but what, is What different. would they base
0: it off then? Why would they what what would they use as the base?
1: I don't know, actually. It's a really good question. Uh, it's got to come
0: down to something.
1: It it it, it, it has to come down. Like I mean, I know f- for example, getting beers, even just getting a four forty mil can right, which uh both of mine are today, is really uncommon back home. They're like they're always like three seventy five mil cans. Right um and it it, maybe they i don't know maybe it's the way that they're they're canned and and bottled or or brewed or i don't know oh yeah yeah, maybe
0: it's the average beer fluid size right yeah quite possibly lower size
1: i don't know to be honest i'm i'm grasping at straws and taking massive assumptions and stabs in the dark at this but i genuinely have no fucking idea
0: oh well uh, (laughs) perfect for this show then Yeah, uh, Sam. What are you? Uh, what you've got some good bullish bearish stuff. You've been uh, teasing that you have yeah. some good content for episode forty-seven. What are you bullish on this week, huh?
1: Well, I've got. i got. I mean, I've got a few things. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm a bullish kind of guy. I, I, there's a lot of stuff that I, uh, I. I stay pretty optimistic about and positive about. Um, I've got a few things that I'm. I'm bullish on, uh, which conversely also deliver a few things that, by the very nature of what I'm bullish on, I'm bearish on something else. So, uh, you know, where we might start. I might start with Amazon and Disney. I'm bullish on Amazon and Disney. Um, because it's not
0: exactly a contrarian view.
1: <laughs> no, it's not, it's not wild and it's not out there. But it's almost so wild and out there that I would be bullish on these that it's wild and out there. All right. Um, I just think that... Uh, so... Amazon bought MGM Studios this week. Yeah, the golden inked a deal to buy MGM. So MGM's like four thousand movies, seventeen thousand TV shows. This is like a backlog of of movie and TV greatness that um, the likes of Netflix cannot compete with. Amazon, I think, are basically going to just buy their way into the godlike status of content that Disney has. See, Disney already has that godlike status. Like, if you think about, you know, movies, you, you, you think about Disney, like Disney make movies that last generations. Um, okay, they've, they've got their fair share of shit ones, but I mean, the stable of, of franchises they now have under their, their wing is insane. So if you think about, if you want to talk about the best content for streaming services available... Disney really leads the way. And now Amazon buying MGM. I think they're just literally saying, right, now that Disney's in, our, in, in the realm of, of streaming services, together we can crush Netflix into oblivion. Because frankly, most of the content on Netflix is a piece of shit. Um, yeah. and, and I just think that Netflix is in this weird position where they seem to be now clutching at straws uh they they're seeing slow like they're still growing don't we? we're still bringing in new new subscribers but it, they're slowing down with this different you know slower rate of, of new subscribers there's they're going to get to a point where they've reached most places uh that they can reach and with the ever-increasing subscription cost of netflix they're going to lose that first mover customer that they had to the likes of amazon and disney and even just the normal like I watch far more shit on Channel 4's 4OD uh, than I do on Netflix. And so I'm like, why the fuck am I paying for Netflix?
0: What the Um, hell are you watching on 4OD? I
1: I don't know. Just random shit, right? (laughs) Like reruns of the IT crowd.
0: (laughs) You know, I I wonder how how hard Netflix will be hit by the reopening, right? Mm, I mean, mm. you know, lockdown is just their dream come true. I mean, was it the CEO who said... uh, you know, the only people we're competing against is sleep, right? Um, You know, lockdown (laughs) is Netflix, you know, this is the, this should be their paradise. So if they haven't conquered the world in lockdown, maybe this was like their last shot. Yeah. Um, I do, I do like the Amazon Prime, like video kind of offering. I I kind of like how they, you know, they've got their, they've obviously got their own unique content, but they've done a really good job of buying up loads of, like, old documentaries and things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure the royalties are really cheap. I'm I'm sure they managed to hoover that up real cheap. But, you know, if you're into, like, niche stuff, you know, you're probably going to find something. But, uh, you know, MGM, obviously, you know, that's an entirely new ballgame with the amount of content they bought there. Um, You know, with any...
1: I get the feeling that, I don't know if you noticed, but so on on the other thing that Amazon do really well that Netflix don't is that Amazon give you other options to subscribe to other channels. So MGM was actually one of the channels you could subscribe to through Prime. I imagine they're going to drop that and just integrate everything into their Prime video service. So they've got like, they've got other things like um, uh, uh, Shudder, which is like a pure horror uh, genre channel. So you pay an extra four quid or whatever a month. Mubi is another one, which is like an extra four quid a month or whatever. Uh, and, and it's like uh, international films predominantly, but, you know, really handpicked, curated, you know, real high quality kind of stuff, you know, very well you know, received critically and all those sorts of things. So they've got this, they've got these like two lanes, Amazon, where they've got all this stuff that's included with Prime which is growing at an incredible rate and is pretty good content. But then they've got like the, it's like when you buy a car, you can option it up with all the fancy bells and whistles. It's kind of the same thing. And also with Amazon, when they do a movie premiere, you can buy the movie like temporarily like you would at the cinema. Um, Netflix just doesn't do that kind of thing. And it feels like Netflix is just treading water while Amazon is just streaking ahead with all of this.
0: Mm. Do you think uh, Bezos will be able to, like, I don't know, make himself a villain in the next Bond movie or something?
1: I think he's—he's he's probably. Uh, or like, maybe he
0: wants to be the next Bond. That's why. Didn't did. they
1: model one of the recent Bonds on Elon Musk? Wasn't that kind of the general gist of, of one of the villains? Which one? Was it the guy that was all the the they were looking to like? Oh, they were, I can't remember which one, but it was around energy or something that they were. Trying oh,
0: green. To, in Quantum of Solace. I think the so, yeah. The worst Bond movie, like yeah. in <laughs> That might era. be the one. Absolute yeah. piece of shit, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh yeah, it was all about water. You yeah, know, a guy trying to monopolize water in Peru or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh yeah, Jeff Bond. Yeah, what's the name's name Bond Jeff. Jeff Bond. Bond. <laughs> Doesn't really have quite the same ring to it, does it? I um, don't oh, know, Bezos though still quite uh, a distinctive name, I suppose. Uh, you know, I must say, we were talking about... This is episode 47, so it did bring to mind uh, Agent 47 from the ah, Hitman yes. series of video games, which they, they tried to make into a movie twice now, by my count, and uh, both times sucked terribly. Video games were very good. They made a, there's a really recent reboot they made for, on the video game version, which was uh, very good. But uh, yeah, for some reason, video game adaptations, they just seem to... Um, they just seem to suck every single time. Um, yeah, I can't I think, think of a good one. Yeah, I think I'm. Be- I think I must be permanently bearish on this. Nobody seems to be able to get video game adaptations of video. Uh, sorry, film adaptations of video games correctly. Maybe Jeff can figure this out for us. Well, actually, figure- so
1: I'm, I'm quite angry at Jeff because of this. Now that you bring this up, I hadn't actually re- remembered this, but but now you bring it up, I, I, I Jeff owes me. Jeff owes me a bit of money. He owes me money. I'm after him. I I, it, I think it was a tenner uh, or thereabouts, uh, and
0: I don't know if you've you seen buy him it. a beer and then he went to the toilet and didn't come back.
1: <laughs> just, just as bad, just as bad. It's the latest Mortal Kombat adaptation.
0: Oh, you did you actually watch that?
1: Not only did I, I paid to watch that. <laughs> you didn't get to see it. No, I paid to watch it. I saw it. I saw it. So I paid and I watched it. And after I'd watched it, I was so disappointed. That I actually tried to, I tried to figure out if I could get a refund on <laughs> on the movie because what I mean it so this for anyone listening, Mortal Kombat, hugely popular video game, um, brought to life in the '90s, I think it was uh, on the Super Nintendo when it came to the market. I mean, I remember the controversy because you could rip guys' heads off uh, with a fatality move. There was you know, stylized blood and gore. Um, you, know, you could rip off a dude's arms. You could set them on fire. You could do a whole bunch of, bunch of visceral, visceral gore-related uh, injuries in this fighting game. Um, and I remember we got banned in so many, so many countries. I, I didn't think not think Australia to start with. That They had two versions. They had the version where you could see all the blood and gore and then a, a, a non-blood version, a PG version. Um, it was incredible. And uh, so the video games, you know, continued to, to, to be one of the great video games of all time. Uh, they did do an original original adaptation of it, which was pretty average, but the recent one is so bad. Uh, it, it's beyond, it's worse than the Street Fighter adaptation that they did with Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, that, had, that starred Raoul uh, Julia and Kylie Minogue as well. Um, horrible. horrible, I want my money back, Jeff. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm still pissed about
0: it. Sam wants his money back.
1: If it uh, yeah, was in a cinema, I would have gone to the desk and I would have asked, I would have demanded for a refund and, and probably used that money for another popcorn.
0: <laughs> you know, I think um yeah, there are some games, right, that just aren't meant to be made into film adaptations. Like, you know, they keep making Mortal Kombat games now, and the gameplay is very fluid, still just as gory. In fact, it's even gorier because they're oh, way yeah. better graphics now. Um and I think I that think actually came a bit earlier than the 90s when they came to fame. I think, Sam, the, I think they, they would have started in the 80s when they were arcade games and that you'd be oh, yeah. able to, to play them in the arcade. But, um, you know, there are, the people who play those games today, right? Nobody ever plays for the story. Right? They're, they're a joke. It's a joke thing to play the campaign. You're probably hunting for the achievements, you're trying to unlock new abilities or new characters. Yeah, you're not actually playing it just to, you know, to actually figure out what 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 the story is. And there are some games like that which just I don't think are meant to be made into video games. Similar with the uh, the Monster Hunter. I don't know if they've actually released the Monster Hunter movie yet. With um,
1: yeah, what, what, they did do, They did release a Monster Hunter movie. Whether it's the same related one, I'm not sure. Oh
0: no, no, this will be it. Yeah, with Mila Jovovich, who's who's. Uh, also played in loads of other video game adaptations of Resident Evil yeah Yeah. I like I'm not going to watch that I played loads of Monster Hunter when I was a kid I'm not watching that unless I'm absolutely hammered but you know there are just some some movies where you can't expect them to be good even if the video game that they were they're based on were you know
1: yeah I mean look I don't I'm trying like when I think about the, the 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 Like I remember, I don't know if you ever saw this. This may have been before your time. So there was the Super Mario Brothers movie as well, that where Bob Hoskins played uh, Mario. (laughs) I think, I think it was Bob Hoskins played Mario, and it was it was horrific too. (laughs) Um, But actually, now now you mention that, I saw as I was flicking because I have this thing where occasionally I'll just flick through Prime and add movies to my watch list uh, that I want to watch. I noticed that Super Mario Brothers movie. Is now on Amazon Prime, included with Prime. So I don't have to pay for it to watch it again, but it is actually so bad that I want to go back and watch it again. One now, of
0: those, huh?
1: It's it's one of, yeah, it's like one of those kind of I need to remember if this actually was as bad as I think it I remember it to be <laughs> or 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 not. But at least it's included. At least I'm well, I mean, I'm still paying for it, Jeff, but at least it's part of my prime subscription now. I'm not paying extra for it.
0: Yeah, I think uh yeah, I remember some of the Ubisoft games have been made into into movies as well. The um, Prince of Persia, they got, mm. uh, what's his name? Um,
1: and haven't they recently done, aren't they doing a, is it um, Uncharted?
0: Ah, yes. Now this is another one, right? Yeah, so the <laughs> Prince of Persia, they did. Um, they also did, they made an Assassin's Creed one with- That's right, uh, oh, with Michael Fassbender. With Fassbender. I couldn't even get past the first 20 minutes of that. I love Me neither. <laughs> Uh, it was just so so bad. so bad. But but Uncharted will be an interesting one because uh, the chap that plays Nathan Drake in the games wants to play, or he wanted to play the actual because it was all mocap. Yeah. But the fellow that plays him. I'm trying to remember his name because um, he's mostly just known for that for for playing that one character because it's all mocap. He actually looks very similar to Nathan Drake. So in all in all. You know, he, he could easily play the guy in a movie. But chances are he's not, you know, as uh, you know, he doesn't look so much, you know, he doesn't look like sort of like the Hollywoodized version of him. It's likely that he would get cut for somebody else who, you know, more embodies the 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 uh, you know the look of the original CGI character. Nice. Um but I bet you it would still suck. Um even I lo- Uncharted <laughs> is probably my favorite video game series of them all. But yeah, I, I bet you it will still suck.
1: I mean, we've reeled off quite a few, and none of them so far have even like another one sprung to mind when we started talking about Assassin's Creed and um, Prince of Persia and, and Uncharted now. Uh, Tomb Raider as well, right? They've done, they've ah, done that a couple uh-huh. of
0: times. Right. The first Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie yeah. and Ian Glenn.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Was actually okay.
1: Ooh. relative to
0: all of the others that we have Ooh, mentioned
1: that's a stretch to say it was okay
0: i thought it was okay um, i mean has, I a, fake, watched has this. a fake re-
1: british accent
0: yeah dude it's hollywood man it's angelina <laughs> jolie what would you what would you expect right but a i mean british it, a,
1: i mean i feel I mean, like it's cultural appropriation that having it considering angelina jolie as as, as lara croft
0: Considering the proportions of the original Lara Croft character, would you really want a faithful representation on your television screen? I mean, it would be, uh, you know, it would uh, certainly not be PG at that rate. But, you know, I I rewatched this maybe, I think it was in 20, I think it was actually in lockdown, I think it would have been 2020. Uh, I rewatched it with my girlfriend. It's, you know, so 2000s, incredibly early 2000s. But uh, relative to all the other video game okay, adaptations that. that I've seen, I think it's probably the best. The one that they did more recently with Alicia Vikander was a piece of shit. Absolutely <laughs> terrible.
1: It was so bad, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. dear.
1: I, you know what? I would love to, and this, well, this might be something we, we can uh, chuck up on the Twitter feed as well. And anyone listening, uh, throw, throw us some comments on our Twitter feed. I would love to know if anybody can think of a movie based off of a video game. Um, that was good. That was that, like yeah. properly good, not like not like Tomb Raider. That was comparatively good to other video game movies, but standalone, very good movie that was come, that has come from a video game. I can't think of one, and we've gone through quite a lot just now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just uh, there's a there's an interesting play here. I mean, there are probably some people who would try and cheat. You might try to cheat and go for a video for a. Uh, a movie that contains a video game that is somehow central to the plot no. something like Jumanji or whatever but that that doesn't count No, um, no it
1: doesn't count Well because it, it was it was it was uh, the movie itself was an original idea not yeah necessarily based off a video game
0: yeah uh, I think there's uh, there have been some good video games that have been inspired by movies. Uh, a lot of people uh, enjoy the Lord of the Rings inspired video games um
1: yeah see the other way around i agree with there are some it it switches you can make good games from movies but i just don't the other way i think and that's why i think it's fair to be bearish on anything in the future that is ever inspired by a video game is going to be shit
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean okay let's think about is there anything yeah what could be what could be inspired by a video game that isn't a movie you know, I remember a while back, who was a, who, what was the name of the brand? It wasn't Hermes, it was uh, Prada. Yeah. Prada did a series of handbags <laughs> that were modelled on the character Lightning from Final Fantasy XIII. I came across this in the How to Spend It magazine supplement of the FT. First double page spread you get, and it's a video game character modelling their Prada's latest handbag range. It was really quite peculiar. I wonder if it was successful or not. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, they were- So, so hang
1: on, so, sorry, sorry. I, hang on, I'm, I'm a little confused. So the, so the bag, so it's a real bag. They were selling real bags. But the models were all video game characters.
0: Was one video game character, okay. Lightning, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they tried it. The rest of the cast, I think they just saw Lightning were like, damn, we've and got to put what? a handbook on, on
1: this lady. You, you, so somehow we've managed to get onto a topic very much removed from everything we thought we might even talk about. I, recently, I was I was looking at some stuff, and it, this is happening a lot in Japan at the moment, where they're using um, uh, artificial intelligence, virtual reality models uh, in advertising, and you can't really tell that they're not real models. How do you mean they're AI though? Well, well so they 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 like have them in like these these like live ads. And so oh, I can't remember who it was, but there was this installation set up in a shop that was a room. So you know how sometimes like, you know, you go to see the Christmas windows and there's all, you know, the, the thing in the window and stuff like, like yeah. that, right? Like, but it's a room with like a bed and, you know, a TV and a little kitchenette and stuff. And inside it was a virtual character, basically a hologram um, right. that, that lived in there. And then it like posted on online and people could follow it. Um, but it was it was, a, it was just a character. It was just a fake character. Yeah, yeah. It was, it I, th- I think in movie.
0: Japan you can get like um uh, for because you know there's a serious issue with uh, men finding companionship. Right? They <laughs> there are these almost like snow globe things you can buy, which have a 3D projection of a, of a woman inside, but it's, and it's got like a, a, a like a Siri sort of response loop, so yeah. it'll respond to what yeah. and it'll say hello and you know these your meetings for today and whatever and like you can just carry it around if you're really lonely and you know it's really tragic when you think of it <laughs> like <laughs> why would where is it, if there's really such demand for this kind of product like this there's, yeah. there's probably quite a lot of people with issues in your society but um I, you, you know, know it is I, incredible I think, what they could create
1: yeah and i think it's i think it's just this is something we're probably going to see more of this decade though is 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 people ha- having like virtual characters um whether they're you know ai sort of in you know uh, triggered to do things based on ai or whether there's someone behind telling them telling them what to do or whatever but like you know like a, a, a catwalk runway where the, none of the models are actually real models they're just made to look and fit the clothes that <laughs> so there it's all it's all virtually designed and projected or a hologram or something like that um and the same with like, I mean, cause I know I know Facebook's been getting big into, into this sort of thing with avatars, um, you know, re- very realistic avatars that respond in a very natural way. Um, y- again, using deep learning to, to have correct, you know, responses that you'd expect from people. I think we are gonna see a lot more of this sort of thing where the, the, the blending between what is uh, uh, something that could be from a video game, you know, a virtual character in in the real world it's going to be a bit of a blurred line you know you might talk to a customer service person online and they're completely it's just a fake person but you don't you, you can't tell you don't know
0: <laughs> mm, yeah yeah I'm, I'm i'm doubtful that the customer service would be much better wow <laughs> all things considered be
1: worse is the question
0: <laughs> yeah i mean when you think about it with like clothes designers they're obviously so uh, incredibly demanding of models already you would think that, yeah, you know, if you could just make them to get them to conjure up fake people, yeah. it would be, uh, it would be, you know, it would at least serve their purposes Though I imagine they would end up, you know, projecting even more demanding images of, uh, of women and men in the, in their adverts. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the dangerous side of it. Right. Is that they, they create these virtual models with unrealistic, uh, you
0: know, everything <laughs> they create Lara Croft in the first game. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, pretty much. Right. Um, And and so yeah, then there there are obvious you know social issues of that. But it'd be like it'd be like then they have to you know label them. This is virtual, as opposed like like when people are posting on Instagram, whatever. This is an ad sort of thing. So Mm. everything 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 has a disclaimer.
0: What are you bearish on this week, Sam?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, so bearish. Um, I, the, the, what was it? The American economy and their, um, what is it? Six trillion dollar budget, growing to eight point one trillion dollars by the end of the decade, and a, uh, what's projected to be one hundred and seventeen percent debt to GDP ratio. Um, I mean, how could how could anyone be positive on that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on the US budget deficit this week, I think I'll, uh, I'll sort of take the other side. I, I do think it's going to get very big indeed, uh, uh, very big indeed. And I don't actually, I, I, I do wonder whether or not uh, there will be any bond vigilantes who will be jumping out and saying, no, 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 you can't be spending this much anymore, uh, now that the Federal Reserve is the largest buyer of US government debt out there. Um, there's a, there was an interesting paper recently that was uh, came out of the University of Belfast, actually, mm. um, that was uh, talking about where the thesis is, um, you know, it's, it's, quite a long, it's quite a long thesis, but it's looking at uh, what the demise of the sterling area, which was, uh, you know, all of the countries in the world that used pound sterling after the Second World War. So it's looking between, uh, you know, the end of the Second World War, looking at the 40s, all the way through to the uh, the late seventies, where things really just started to collapse. Yeah, because for an awfully long time, and you know, it, it, you know, Australia, Canada managed to out and did their own dollar very, very early. All things considered, Australia stayed on for quite a long time. But you know, the likes of uh, you know Libya and uh, uh, you know, obviously back back then you had uh, you know Rhodesia and stuff. You know, all manner of. Um, all manner of countries which had, which were using Sterling for various reasons. And it was looking at uh, how the Sterling area collapsed. Well, I didn't really, and it wasn't a collapse because that implies that it was quite sudden. It was really a gradual event over time and why it was. It, this paper investigates all of the reasons why countries stopped using Sterling. Uh, and there are, you know, it takes a sort of multi multivariate approach of what it was and what the, what the trade-offs were, looking at defense agreements, security trade agreements and things like that. But the whole purpose of the paper is to examine uh, whether or not there are, there are warnings that can be learned, you know, warnings mm. that can be listened to for the US today, now that everyone uses the dollar. Uh, and I, it's a very long paper. I am very much enjoying reading it. It uh, takes a, you know, a very, it's, it's not a, a biased view. I mean, it's, to, it's really examining every angle as to why all of these countries uh, decided to stop using it. Um, but you know, Australia it's still got still got the the uh, it's still got the the queen as the sovereign. I was uh, speaking to a bullion yeah. dealer today, uh, not today actually. It was the other day. She's on yesterday. our coins. Yeah, she's on the coins. And uh mm. yeah, I was her favorite coin was uh, the the gold kangaroo that is issued That's by one dollar coin. Right, or but the for the in bullion, I think that I think it's a hundred. But you know, wow. there's a uh, but yeah, like. I don't know what it is, but Australia and Canada cannot get the Queen's portrait right.
1: Like, what is up? It's quite funny. There's a little trick you can do with a, I think it's the Australian five-dollar note um, that's got the Queen on it, and if you fold it in a certain way, it looks like a dick going into a vagina.
0: <laughs> yeah, trust you. Trust this. Uh, yeah, this is the typical Australian response, isn't it?
1: You I'm know, not even the joking. Americans,
0: right? The people, Americans the would people take a who note. If you
1: know, you know, right? With that one.
0: You know, I I was kind of wishing I didn't know that now, Sam. Thank you for that. The Americans, they take the $1 bill, they'll fold it in all these different things, and they'll show you, actually, there's the Twin Towers blowing up here. Also, there's a hole in the Pentagon with flames coming out of the side, right? Meanwhile, in Australia, right, this is what you guys are getting up to. I think think um, think it was the Canadians. uh, The Canadians actually had the Queen on their banknotes for anyone else because they put uh, when she was Princess Elizabeth on their five, on the five Looney note. Right. Um, and so you've got her when she's like six or whatever on it, which is uh, weird that the, uh, the Australian, the, the Canadian, sorry. He does around Australian.
1: Canada, rejoice.
0: Oh my God,
1: <laughs>
0: uh, okay. I'll, I'll let you carry on with your bearish segment as to why uh, why US budget deficits are so bad, Sam.
1: Well, so no, you raise a good point. And, and about um, not anything I've just said in the last five minutes but um I mean can I know it's hard to envisage these sorts of things just like I'm sure it was hard to, for people to really envisage the the like you say it's not really a collapse but the collapse of, of the sterling is like can we can we see countries shifting off the US dollar is that is that something that we will, we could actually see slowly transition in our lifetime It's hard to imagine, but you can see how it could happen the I guess the only other question is what do they what did they, What could they move to? And yeah. I'm not going to jump yeah, the, on my Bitcoin high horse here. I mean, assume that that doesn't exist. I mean, is there is there another alternative?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't think so. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't think so. Uh, I don't think I don't buy the the renminbi argument um, no, that this is something that could be switched to. the The, the main argument is that I can believe for renminbi is is more that people. Uh, you know, they accept, they use renminbi for, you know, they'll, they'll buy loads of things from China, they'll get renminbi in return, then then put that renminbi back into China and use that to buy gold uh, and extract that from Shanghai. That is the closest I can get to that argument where people are using gold as a global reserve asset uh, and it, it becomes much more of a, you know, a central pillar of global finance as it used to be uh, because it's, you know, countries that are doing so much trade with China they end up with loads of renminbi. They end up accepting renminbi because not because it's got fixed exchange rate. And obviously inside China, you know, they print onshore renminbi like it's you no know, tomorrow. They do whatever they want with it. But, you know, if you take offshore renminbi and you know that you will be able to trade that for physical gold in Shanghai and be able to extract that back to your back to your own nation, then I can imagine it being used. But then it's like yeah, that in, in turn demands an awful lot of other things. You know, shipping gold around the world yeah. is not something people or well, maybe they would be flying it, I suppose, which is uh, which is a lot, a lot easier than shipping it around. A lot less. Uh, it's more expensive, of course. Could but, you
1: imagine the environmentalists when gold's getting flown around the world?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It, I mean, shipping it would be worse because obviously these tankers and whatever use way, way more fuel, etc., etc. Yeah, but cargo, it, it cargo brings up all these oh, all these other Denver, logistics style. issues, right? Um, you know, the French wanted their gold to, to to be carried away in submarines, so maybe maybe it'd be everyone who's got submarines is using them to 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 take him home. But uh, it's still hard to imagine it. But then it would have been hard to imagine it. It yeah. would have been hard to imagine it in the fifties as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's I I, I I sort of I can't quite figure out what the world would switch to but at the same time you you kind of see that there is a you know great devaluation of the US dollar and you, you know maybe part of me thinks maybe there's a you know a basket of currencies that's used but i couldn't i could ever see i couldn't ever see the likes i mean it, it would have to be done in, with such a way with every country outside of the US i mean it's weird it's it just doesn't feel like it's possible but then we know through history over time That you know, there is no one reserve currency that has been consistent forever. It seems to quite regularly change in the bigger scheme of things, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it feels like it would be naive to think that the US dollar would will remain (laughs) this reserve currency for you know another hundred years or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think what's key uh, to the US dollar's supremacy is mostly um, the the US Navy, uh, which is not something people dwell on too much but keeping the world's oceans like safe people think pirates are like a thing of the past or something you only find off the horn of africa you know with somalia or whatever yeah um you know if, if the what if the u.s navy wasn't around there uh, wasn't making sure every everybody's trade is safe for free at no cost it's at the, at the expense of the u.s taxpayer um you know, the the dollar would have much less of a bid and people would be much less interested in using it. And uh, if the US Navy were to just say, hey, by the way, all of these, you know, we've got more than 10 carrier strike groups. We're actually gonna cut that. We're gonna actually divide that by four. um, And we're just gonna use them to, to, you know, just got, you know, take a, we'll have one on the Atlantic, we'll have one on the Pacific and then one in reserve. And you know what, you know, you, you guys can fend for yourselves. I think that would uh, that would that would increase the cost of global trade by an awfully large amount because securing uh, security for any of the global shippers, uh, and in turn all the the cost of shipping things abroad for any of these major suppliers would change completely, and I think that's one of the one of the main reasons why the dollar has such a bid. And there's at the moment, there's no Navy uh, that can even come close to competing with the U.S. I mean, with the Royal Navy um, and the French Navy, and you've got uh, in Asia as well, like the Japanese and things, and the Australians, of course. Uh, however, but in, in terms of sheer size and being able to, yeah. to uh, really you know, uh, protect everywhere at once and do everything everywhere, I mean, yeah, it's not like the U.S. Navy can even do that, but they can do an awful lot more than anyone else can. Uh, I think there would need to be some kind of force that would supplant that. Yeah. Uh, in order for the dollar to really lose its it's it's uh, its bid uh, and the, at the same time um, you know if, even if it did go back to some kind of bank basket of currencies there still needs to be a currency which dominates the basket there's yeah, not going right. to be it, it i find it hard to imagine how we end up with like you know there's one percent zloty you know one percent rand well be more <laughs> than one percent but you know you know there's one percent somali shilling etc <laughs> You still, you'd still need uh, an independent organization or uh, not a non-independent organization yeah. that was beholden to the major power to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, what happens to the dollar is, uh, you know, there's also this thing with the budget deficits, right? Where you wonder how far the US can really like push the limit. If you're the global superpower uh, and you've got the deepest market out there for, for your bonds, you, it is interesting to see how far you can really push that and similar with all the empires like with the roman empire same with the british empire as well one of the sort of benefits you have as being an empire while you exist is that you can you can push budget deficits further than anyone else can and i guess we're going to that's what we're going to see in the 2020s right it's just how far biden and co uh, followed by whoever gets elected next are going to push this because um, you know they're getting away with it i mean the, nobody's saying no <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right everything everything that they propose at the moment is just getting rubber stamped uh and and put through which uh is terrifying
0: <laughs> well it, it is what it is i mean uh, yeah uh, at the moment there are uh, there are seemingly no costs for it uh, there will be a cost as there always is but i think one of the the benefits of being an empire is that the costs aren't borne by you uh, so all of the yeah. distortions that you need to deal with are effectively dealt by everybody else that is, uh, you know, is is surrounding or a uh, a participant to the imperial standard. Um, hmm. Yeah, I I do think at some point, I, uh, yeah, one of the one that this is a quite far out thing. It's not something that's too related to what we're talking about, but it is related. U.S. has always resisted being uh, calling itself an empire because, of course, of all of the faith and the. Uh, well, not the faith, but the, the the principles of which it's founded on the values, etc. It does, of course, have the world's oldest um, remaining colony. Uh, so it does have, you know, in Puerto Rico, that is the world's oldest colony. Uh, it is, you know, Puerto Rico is not a state. It is just occupied territory, which is owned by the federal government. And, uh, you know, they get away with that. Uh, I think there is going to be at some point in the future where there will be a much more explicit acknowledgement that the U.S., uh is it may not say it's an empire but it'll say something different i mean there's going to be some kind of change to the way which people refer to it i think than simply the united states of america is out here you know defending freedom abroad i think there'll be some more implicit acknowledgement that this is something bigger than that in a way i don't
1: know Um, about that because no one acknowledges the british empire in that way
0: yeah, though. Yeah, of course I did. It was called the British Empire.
1: <laughs> yeah, by name, but it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily get the uh, attention for what an empire actually does out there beyond their own shores as much as it. it was at British the
0: time. China. It was at the time it existed. Certainly. I mean, you know, you know, it was only what the nineteen late forties that um, the king stopped being called the Emperor of India. You know, this is, uh, you know, this was definitely a big thing. It was great for propaganda at home. Like uh, everybody yeah. rich and poor was proud that they were, uh, you know, uh, part of the British empire. I think, it you know, it really was very explicit.
1: No, actually, sorry. That's that that's probably what, what I, I meant was that uh, on domestic shores, it's not acknowledged as much as it is out in the colonies itself.
0: Ah, right, right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Actually, I guess what I'm arguing here. is the opposite for the US. I think in the US, they're still going to be all like, you know, Land of the Free, home of the brave.
1: Yeah. we're
0: yeah. we're defending liberty abroad. And else wants else their fucking head like. off. <laughs> <laughs> the Imperial Guard are here. Run for it.
1: Hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's just war that that, that changes over the uh, changes over the period. I mean, it's uh, again. For I find it hard to think that there will be another war on the scale that we've seen in previous ways. But usually, no. that you know, that's always a good catalyst for a changeover of uh, of global superpower
0: well it's a good way to create zero percent unemployment that's for sure and that's what all those central bankers are trying to target got to get that zero percent unemployment rate you know
1: yeah hopefully by that stage i'm old enough to not have to be conscripted into anything
0: <laughs> yeah i mean yeah well what would you get conscripted into considering everything's all cyber these days you know which of course is more your domain than mine
1: but I wouldn't mean, be the yeah. air force that's 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 for sure. I, I I applied for the air force when I was a young whippersnapper, um, colorblind. So they, that was really no yeah. You're colorblind. Damn. Yeah, colorblind. So um, they said no to that. Passed all the aptitude tests and all the physicals except for the colorblind test. So unfortunately, the, you're not talking to a uh, former fighter pilot at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking to somebody that was that suggested that if you wanted to join the air force, you could be a chef, um, which particularly <laughs> fancy at the time admittedly after after going from wanting to be a, uh, an air force pilot to to a chef so oh and well probably, it, you know probably not the head so that. i'd probably get conscripted into yeah the, the the cyber terrorism division or something like
0: that <laughs> you know uh well, I mean, I'm sure during the Battle of Britain, they weren't minding if uh, if the the young fellows signing up to the RAF, who'd be sent up into the air six weeks later to fight the Luftwaffe were colorblind or not. So maybe- To be fair, if it...
1: that was the case, I'd fucking go. <laughs> you know, I'd happily be conscripted to... into the Air Force. If that was a thing, and they were conscripting people into the Air Force to become pilots, sign me up.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, RAF, Recruiting uh, Department, if you heard, if you heard it, our boy Sam Volkering, he's uh, he's going to be getting in, into a in, uh, an F thirty five as soon as he can get there. Um, yeah. This does bring us back to our previous uh, topic, though. When is Top Gun two going to come out? I mean, is uh, is M- is is MGM the ones who own the the Top Gun rights? Uh, I uh...
1: think so. I, I feel like it, it is. I, I will point out that we also discussed before that a lot of times games based on movies end up being very good. Um, a lot of the times, they also end up being very shit. With Top Gun, the game being a case in point.
0: Uh, ah, plenty
1: of great flying uh, fighter games, but Top Gun was not one of them.
0: Well, it didn't pass the test, huh? No, yeah. unfortunately not. But so um, yeah, maybe maybe Jeff Bezos is going to put himself into the top into Top Gun 2, except
1: he's as like one of the enemy pilots. He- <laughs> Actually, speaking of Bezos and conscription, if if, if there was conscription, I would, and they were, they were conscripting to Space Force. That would be something else that I'd, I'd probably be quite happy to be conscripted into Space Force.
0: Damn. Yeah. You want, you want to go to go to space. Mm. Oh, yeah. What was the, what's the, whole, uh, what's the whole deal? I've not looked into it in great detail, Sam, but uh, what is the deal with Bezos getting his own special space contract? Yeah, right. uh, because he's miffed that Musk got the main one that he was bidding for. What's all this about?
1: Yeah, I, I, this is a, this is a strange one. Uh, so, uh, what people don't probably don't don't know, um, uh, NASA had a contract um, that was up for basically up for tender, and I can't remember exactly what the contract was for, but but pretty much the applicants were SpaceX and Bezos's space company Blue Origin. Anyway, SpaceX won the contract. Um, and I think it was worth about $10 billion or something like that. Uh, Now, somehow, this has been not good news for Blue Origin because, obviously, they would have liked to have had the contract. And so now there's a second contract that has uh, mysteriously appeared out of nowhere so that now Blue Origin can have one too. It's kind of like... It feels like it's a bit like a participation certificate uh, in a running race, but they're both first place um and it it, it some of the articles i've read about it described it as a bailout for blue origin to basically keep the lights on and keep it relevant um all, it, it smells like bezos has got his or his fingers in a few political pies that have some vested interest to keep blue origin uh ticking over and staying in competition with spacex my my view on it is that the fear is that if they continue to head down this progression towards putting uh, man on the moon again, uh, Project Artemis, moving, you know, uh, having a, either a moon base or an orbiting moon base, uh, and then moving to Mars and looking to send people to Mars and those sorts of things, really going on this whole interplanetary uh, existence idea. I think the fear is, is that SpaceX becomes a, a a, a private monopoly, private commercial monopoly on these this industry, yeah. and that it's in their interests to maintain as much competition as they can. But obviously, due to the extremely high barriers of entry to, to this to this industry, uh, it's it's Blue Origin and SpaceX uh, that are going to be the predominant companies in this space. So if 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 Blue Origin fails, then it is just SpaceX to dictate yeah. terms as they see fit, and I think that probably terrifies. Uh, the U.S. government.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of defend uh, what is has been described as, as such with as a bailout, right? When you're talking about what's effectively a big government subsidy that's going yeah. to go to a company, but at the same time, um, you got to pro- promote competition, and at mm. the same time, they've got China to compete against. Well, that too, uh, right? And yeah, you I mean they got to they got to do what they can to get it done, I guess. Um. Yeah, I mean, you would hope, but I mean, c- come on. I mean, it's Bezos, right? So, <laughs> you know, he's got plenty of money. The guy. I'm sure if a Blue Origin was having issues, he would be able to inject uh, sufficient stimulus himself into uh, into capitalizing it. You know,
1: to a point, though. I mean, these guys are, st- are multi billionaires. Um, I don't know what's Bezos worth. A few hundred billion. They talk. Maybe they. Maybe he's one of the first to become a trillionaire. Ten billion is still a big fucking whack.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and at at the same time, you can't buy experience. So the uh, I imagine the contract that he's bidding for is going to allow them to do stuff that they wouldn't otherwise have been allowed to do when it comes to actually sending stuff up there. And you know, you can't you can't put a price on it. Uh, On a kind of related note, it was interesting hearing uh, Vladimir Putin talk about how uh, how you know the majority of uh, of uh, generals and commanders. Uh, within the Russian military, have gained uh, battlefield experience in Syria. Uh, the very entrepreneurial, so similar to this, sort of blend of state and private enterprise, as we're talking about in space. Mm. Uh, Russia has ta- takes a very similar, uh, though it's kind of the other way around, approach, where they're using uh, conflict as a place to sort of sharpen sharpen their swords, right? Just to get, <laughs> just to try and get the guys to have enough, um, to, yeah, to have enough experience, uh, so they know what it's like to actually be in combat. Uh, and at the same time, I think there was um, something that was uh, it was a piece of uh, uh, research that was done by one of these think tanks. I think they estimated that roughly a thousand prototypes, military prototypes for advanced technology, had been tested in in uh, in Syria. So wow. they're just using it as a as a live as a live battleground. You know, it's just like you know, we can go here, try this tech out, see if it works. Loads of drones and things like that, uh, and it's you know very, um, very dark stuff, isn't it? But uh, you know, very entrepreneurial take to it. You know, we're going to use, you know, we're going to, we're going to take every opportunity to ensure that we, uh, we're getting the most out of this. We're getting the most out of this war, ultimately, which is uh, very grim. But some, There's some interesting
1: uh, LinkedIn posts from those guys. <laughs> Did my did my yeah. entrepreneurial internship on the battlegrounds of Syria?
0: Yeah. What's the uh, what's the the CV gonna look like for some of these guys being developing drones? Well, some <laughs> of the guys have been trying them out. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people. Uh, interestingly, uh, the Russians in particular get a, get a, It's not just Russians, but uh, a lot of uh, Russian military types get in a lot of trouble for uh, posting their uh, their position and the the local landscape on Instagram. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, yo, this is this here. It's us with the boys, etc. UN uh, military types do as well, but the UN rarely get into any kind of skirmish, so uh, you know it's not really it's not really a a problem. But Sam, uh, we haven't rated our beers yet. What what, uh, have you? I because I'm well onto my second one at this point. What are you on your second? Yeah, I'm
1: almost finished my second. Funny enough. (laughs) Um, So, well, first off, with the Astrid uh, from Thornbridge uh, Brewing uh, Riverside, Thornbridge Riverside Brewery uh anyway very good uh session beer i mean at 3.8 percent, you could have quite a few of those uh it was it was it was it was juicy but not in an overpowering way so you know probably i'd say a little bit of um passion fruit uh taste in there um a few other sort of yeah mango maybe uh my taste profile on beer is pretty shit but uh it tasted very nice was very good i um Today I got I got a WhatsApp message from a friend of mine, Robbie, who decided he was going to roast me because he was listening to a former a previous episode of ours, where I described a beer as probably would have tasted better if it wasn't so chilled. Uh, and so he 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 yeah. decided to rip on me today, uh, saying how British I'd become that I preferred my beer warm over. Um, my room temperature beers over chilled ones well i can categorically say with the astrid robbie that it is better cold chilled as all beer really should be um so jam that one up your skirt <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, quite right. uh, and
1: as for a rating b plus <laughs> oh
0: very good very, very good, good, very good
1: it. yeah
0: uh on the on the simpatico it was very nice very hazy indeed uh yeah quite uh not too heavy actually it was um yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't feel something that was hard hard to hold uh but yeah very nice label as well i think i'd give it an a plus uh no, nothing exceptional but it was uh it was still decent enough sam what's second what's your second beer
1: yeah so the second one here is a uh just a bog standard ipa uh called more of a phenomenon it's a orange can with a bit of artwork on it. And it's um, by the Boundary Brewery. Now, what I, I, I didn't know about Boundary until I read this on the label is that uh, Boundary is actually a cooperative brewery owned by its members. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is very interesting to see. Uh, brewed and canned in Belfast. Uh, it's um, 6. 6% ABV. Uh, and, and interestingly, on this one, very prominently has a used-by date stamped on it of the tenth of August, twenty twenty-one. Um, yeah, look, it's it's it. <laughs> to be honest with you, the first couple of uh, sips of it weren't great. Uh, I was I was I was not looking forward to drinking the rest of it. It was kind of earthy uh, in taste. But uh, as I have continued on, it has gotten notably better. Uh, and, and I'm actually quite enjoying it now. And at 6%, it's not too heavy, not too, uh, not too crazy, not going to blow my socks off. Um, but so far, uh, very nice from Boundary.
0: Yeah, the second beer uh, that I uh, have had today, is uh, it's a shiny label. You know, it's got some, uh, got some of the shininess on it, some shiny texture. It's from Cloudwater Brewco, ah. and it's called Crystallography. Uh, a very cool sort of photo on the front. It's an I I P A, oh. uh, and I don't know what the first I is actually. It's not made very clear. I think it could be intense I P A uh, because it says balanced and intensely flavoured. A nod to the Californian classics. Um, this is a tribute to the strong, heavily hopped West Coast beers that captured our hearts by combining incredible depth of flavour with effortlessly drinkability effortless drinkability uh and then yeah lots of self-praise um is
1: is the I before it a lowercase or uppercase I?
0: uh both uppercase iipa that's interesting this is an eight percent i does that make it a
1: roman numerals double ipa
0: yeah i mean that's what it could be i guess it could because it is eight percent which would be the perfect Mm -hmm. double ipa rank wouldn't it yeah um well maybe it is it tastes all right um similar to the first one it's it's good but it's not uh it's not exceptional. It's got a very cool label, though, so I think I'd give it an A+. plus.
1: Oh, yeah, and uh, the, bound, the more of a phenomenon from Boundary, uh, I, I think I'd probably give this an A+, plus as well, which, again, uh, very good ratings.
0: Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, it's been an all right roundup for the week. Uh, but, yes, yeah, Sam, any closing remarks for this one before we head on to episode 48 next week?
1: Um... Just what? Well, actually, I'll just chuck one more thing in. In in uh, uh, just a very quick little one. Other thing that I'm very bullish on at the moment yeah, uh, is is golf. <laughs> now I I do like golf. I like playing golf. I like watching golf. But uh, I feel like this this the sport is making its a bit of a resurgence. Uh, the it, Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championships over the weekend. He's fifty, uh, and has had one of the longest careers in professional sport that you could possibly imagine. But this is a sport where guys that are 50 can still win major championships, competing against guys in their 20s that look like they've just stepped out of like 1,000 gym sessions. Furthermore, right. two of the best players in the world have, have developed this intense beef and rivalry with each other. Now, this might also coincide with something which is called the Play Impact Payments, which the PGA Tour has decided to add to the mix where it's going to reward players for things like social engagement and their ability (laughs) to bring new people into the sport, TV ratings, all these sorts of things. So all of a sudden there's now incentive for players to make golf more interesting, which uh, is is weirdly coinciding with some of the best players now getting a bit more active in the social space. Uh, And finally the actual PGA championship that was on just in the weekend, just gone, it outrated in terms of viewership, the NBA finals playoffs, uh, which is quite a feat to achieve in America. Uh, for a number of reasons, it feels like golf is growing. Uh, the, the, the apparel and equipment market for, for golf is, is huge. We're talking about you know, multi-billions of dollars per year uh, and growing. Um, there's been a bit of a decline in participation, but viewer numbers seem to be growing. And it, I think it's, I think there's going to weirdly be a lot of opportunities uh, for some for some smart companies in this space. And so golf is another thing uh, uh, that's going to be more fun to watch uh, and I think is also going to actually provide a few few bullish segments down the track for me as well. So I thought I'd just chuck All this right. in on, at the end. Bullish as No, well no,
0: that's uh, no, very welcome. I've only played golf once in my life. Uh, I have been told uh, by... Grant Williams, who himself is a a very prolific golfer, that I uh, the longer that I delay before I start playing golf, the more I shall kick myself that I was born and raised in Scotland and didn't play golf on all the courses. That's a fucking good point.
1: That is a very good point.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I do feel like I'm, you know, I wasn't that enthused by the game. Uh, It it is kind of cool, but, uh, you know, I still just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, but maybe i will uh sam are uh, you're familiar with the uh, the golfing brand title list correct yes yes uh is it just me because um i have asked around a bit about this but i have a friend who constantly wears Titleist gear and i only realized that it was a golf brand like is that, way later.
1: I, this is while he's not playing golf right
0: correct Correct. He oh is dear. that kind of fella. Oh uh, now I thought <laughs> that it says fit leist. I thought it was just like uh, a random can, person's like surname
1: because
0: it. Yeah. it looks like an F, right? It, Am it I is, the only person that thinks it looks like an F? Uh,
1: it, the, the, it, it's almost calligraphy style, the T at the, at the, the front of the word. I can, I can, I can see how that would be something that you would see. I think you need to have words with, with this person about wearing golf attire off the golf course um, there are some brands where that is, you know, where the blend between what is actually golf wear and what isn't is, is hard to decipher like Nike or Adidas. Um, right. Some of the, the, you know, their polos you could wear, you know, they could be golf polos. They could not be golf polos, you know, those sorts of things you can get away with or shorts, but when it's tight or Callaway um, very specific golf brands and they're worn off course, you're a, you're a knob.
0: i'll I'll be sure to pass that on you
1: know it's another one of those if you know you know moments
0: (laughs) what's the what's the what's the difference with them with with nike then and people wearing nike casually why is it that golf or and i'm sure it applies to plenty of other sports as well because you know people people wear rugby tops uh you know they're not the the official issue with that too (laughs) right Well, what, why is Nike? Okay. Then How, what's why the deal? It,
1: no, well, so it's, it's the, the apparel isn't necessarily made just to be for golf. Like, look, let's, let's not beat around the bush here. A lot of golf attire is pretty. Ah, um, oh, it's uh, what's the right word for it. Um, I don't know. Useless. Bit, yeah. Oh, it's, it's a bit frumpy. It's a bit frumpy. Um and, and you do, you you can look like if you're not, if you, when you're playing golf in golf attire, you know, it suits the game. Cause that's the, you know, there's a lot of tradition behind it and so on. When you're wearing it to the pub, if you've just stepped off the course and you're at the pub, cool. No issues with that. But if you're, if it's like a Tuesday evening and you've come from home and you've just chucked on your golf gear to go to the pub, I mean, fuck <laughs> me. Come on. Seriously.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I will, I will clarify to defend. It is comfortable. Arizona,
1: it is very I mean, comfortable.
0: It's not like it's like a polo or anything. It's just like a t-shirt that says like Tide List, and he's got like a cap that says Tide List as well. Yeah, um, I
1: could get the t-shirts. I could get because you're not like you actually can't wear. You're not supposed to wear t-shirts on the golf course. So therefore, right. a t-shirt designed to be not worn at the golf course. I could, you know, again, except there's there's levels of rules that are acceptable with these sorts of things.
0: Well, see, this is why I didn't realize that it was it was golf apparel with the with the fit list idea. <laughs> Yeah, it just looks like lice to me. <laughs> but anyway, I think that is uh, that's a good note to end on. I'll, I'll see if I can. Uh, well, maybe maybe one of these days, Sam, we'll be able to play golf together, and you can actually tell me what's so good about the the great game.
1: Well, well um, the, the the bucket list thing for me, there. I've got two bucket list things in golf, and that's to attend. Um, that's a, to attend the Open at uh, St. Andrews and to attend the Masters at obviously Augusta and to also play both those courses. The old course at St. Andrews, uh, is the the, the history there is like nothing else and and it is certainly, you know, Scotland by far and away has some of the world's greatest golf courses and it is absolutely a a dream of mine to get up there and play a few. So you might have to scrub up on your game pretty quick.
0: (laughs) We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening to episode 47 of Booze, Booms and Busts. We shall be back again next week with episode 48. But until then, hope you have a good one.